Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Today we are lucky enough to have Adam Kell with us, and Adam is an investment partner at Comet Labs, which is a venture fund that invests in B2B robotics and artificial intelligence startups. And Adam's background is in hardware, including designing capital equipment and processes for the semiconductor industry, including the mini semi-automated solar cell manufacturing tools. And he was named uh, uh, Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2014. So uh, Comet Labs, which is a great name, by the way, uh, has invested in a number of robotics and AI startups. So they're really helping to see the kind of next revolution of uh, intelligent machines. So I asked Adam to be on the show to learn more about his background and hear more about his thoughts on robotics and AI now and for the future. So Adam, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Definitely. And so let's. Uh, I'm excited to talk more about what you guys are have going on now, but let's hear a little bit about your background before we jump in. Sure. Um, so I studied uh, mechanical engineering and product design as an undergraduate in upstate New York. I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, but went out to New York for college. Uh, then came back to the Bay Area to work uh, for a solar company for a couple of years, doing mostly capital equipment design. Um, went back to graduate school at Stanford uh, to study material science engineering um, and met uh, my co-founder for the company that I then founded, which was a consumer electronics startup. And we designed and manufactured consumer electronics, um, scaled that out to several products um, that were for sale in camping, backpacking, outdoor type markets. Huh. Um and then um, I did some work with uh, with an accelerator program called Startex in Palo Alto, um, basically focused on educating Stanford's best founders. Um, and uh, I ran the hardware program there, so I worked with about um, 50 hardware companies during my two year uh, two year tenure there, um, and got to do some exciting things around helping companies find manufacturing partners and um, sort of learn about design firms and uh, really figure out how to go to retail with a hardware product. Um, and then after that, uh, I reconnected with, uh, with someone who I met in college who was just starting up Comet Labs, um, and, uh, sort of got, got going from there and, and joined the team in, uh, September of 2015. Interesting. That's a great background. So I got a couple questions. One is this kind of random one is, so how many startups do you think come out of Stanford every year? Cause you said you had 50 in just two years, just in hardware. Just in hardware. Yeah. yeah. So, um, start, StartX itself graduates about uh, 100 to 150 companies per year now. Wow. Um, they run, they want, they do uh, three terms of three months each. Um, and then in terms of then just the, the acceptance rate at StratX is about, it's, I think it's less than 10%. So you can imagine, uh, t- you know, 10 times that many companies in the, in the Stanford ecosystem itself. Um, there are other resources at, at Stanford university for those companies and obviously also outside of uh, Stanford, but, um, yeah, I, I would imagine um, on the orders of you know several thousand companies probably um, start at Stanford. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Okay, I didn't. I mean, I knew. Of course, everyone knows they're amazing, but part of it is volume, I guess. <laughs> but uh, right, that's that's interesting. Okay, and, and I'm curious, what type of a uh, consumer products did you guys design and sell? Your previous company. We did a we did we, yeah we did a device that uh, generates electricity from uh, waste heat sources. So you could take our device and set it up next to your camping fire or cooking stove, and it would generate a steady uh, USB charge for your mobile phone or for your rechargeable batteries. 
Huh, interesting. Uh, that's a good idea. Is it still for sale? Yes, it's uh, it's available at storeenergy.com. Storeenergy.com. Well, that's a good domain. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you can see a few a few of the a few of the products that we have for sale. Interesting. Okay. And so, you know, what in your past and your background, why did you decide to, I mean, you kind of, you have a, a very interesting uh, entrepreneurial background, decided to join Comet Labs and kind of focus on the um, helping nurture companies. I know you did that at Stanford with StartX, um, but what, you know, what kind of prompted you to kind of get, get on that side of things? Um, I, I think the main thing was uh, this. This is a really um, good vehicle. The, the, the two most interesting things about about the types of companies that we invest in now um, are a kind of the, the new technologies that are incorporated in it. This is sort of some of the most cutting edge technology that, that's going into AI and robotics. And then two, um, there's a lot of new business models that are enabled by the types of data streams that these companies are generating. And so that's uh, that's producing some really interesting. Um, ways of approaching approaching uh, go to market. Oh, that makes that makes sense. Okay, and, and this way, I mean, you get to, you get to kind of sit on top and see what's all going on from a higher level and see patterns and um, you know at the very cutting edge, so across different industries and technologies, which is a you're in a pretty nice position that way. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, Comet Labs, uh, how many companies you invested in, and and if you disclose how large your fund is, and um, yeah, and kind of, sure. we kind of talked about your focus, I guess, but if there's anything more to add there, sure, um, yeah. So Comet Labs, we focus on AI and robotics companies that are transforming traditional industries like agriculture, healthcare, logistics, and retail. Um, and we have done about 25 investments so far, and that's across both application-based companies, so companies who are building a product for a retail store like Target or for a um, you know distribution center like Amazon, um, and then the other sort of half of the portfolio companies focus on platform technology, so more sort of fundamental um, building blocks that other technology companies can build solutions with. Those are things like natural language processing, computer vision, uh, universal robotic parts, um, things like that. Uh, those are the types of companies that we invested in. Again, twenty about twenty five in our current portfolio, um, and the fund size is a is a twenty million dollar fund. We're uh, investing from an evergreen fund right now, which basically means that we don't have sort of a fixed amount, but uh, about twenty million dollars is what we're wow. investing from right now. That's pretty good amount. How did you guys uh, raise that? So we're we're basically a spin out from uh, an, an existing uh, early stage VC. Uh, called Legend Star, okay. and we we're, we're sort of focusing on the you know geographic um, region uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. We do investments outside of San Francisco, but um, sort of we're, we're headquartered in the Bay Area, um, and then doing these really focused investments, um, like a very sort of a big a very narrow subset of what the sort of conventional Legend Star companies would um, would look like. And so we sort of just uh, decided to you know, rebrand and and go out there and, and focus on these uh, these types of investments. Interesting. Okay. And, and you know, what what uh, what's the typical stage that do you do you invest in? Um, most of most of the investments that we've done so far have been at, at, at seed. Okay. Um, and we've done a, we've done a couple at Series A, and then we've done one Series B. But our sweet spot is definitely seed, and increasingly as we as we raise uh, as we raise more funds in the future. Um, focusing a little bit more on uh, Series A as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think you're all? I, do you think you always uh, focus a lot on seed, even if you raise 
hundred million dollars? Um, that's that's something that a lot of venture funds have. There's a lot of different ways that that they approach that. Uh, sometimes it's hard to do um, seed investments yeah. with a large fund. Uh, obviously, for one reason, because it's hard to deploy very much capital. Um, but also because it's it's harder to support, like continue to support portfolio companies as they grow, and not support others. Like if if I invest in company A and company B, and I keep investing in company A but stop investing in company B, then there's a lot of signaling risk um, to other to other investors, and so that might be another reason why larger firms choose not to um, choose not to do seed round investments or just choose not to have that be as a, one of the primary things. Uh, today we're we're a seed first investor. And as we grow into the future, that'll be something that we have to think about, whether it's, you know, either separating by creating a different fund, which is managed by different people, um, or, you know, whether that we, we, we sort of want our sweet, sweet spot to stay in the, in the seed, which would mean that we probably wouldn't raise a $100 million fund. Gotcha. Okay. And, and when do you personally like to work with companies at what stage? Um, I definitely like, um, uh, companies that are fewer than five people. Okay. Um, it, it being being a lot more hands on with the team. I'm, I approach investing from a very product centric and technology centric um, view, and I think that's the that's that's my favorite time of, of working with these types of companies. I think for other types of investments, it's um, you know, I, I don't have any I don't have any experience doing like for example consumer internet um, investments, but it seems to me like the you know do, digging into the technology is a little bit more concrete and sort of, you know, being able to identify a company like Snapchat or Facebook in the seed round, which seems to me like a much more, I don't know, much harder process uh, to identify those companies rather than just saying, okay, you know, there there are great founders working on this particular type of sensor. And if, you know, we believe that the sensor can be built and, you know, this team has a good shot of being that, you know, the the folks who build build that sensor, that seems to me like a, like my job's easier than somebody who's doing consumer internet investments, but that's just coming from someone who hasn't been on that side of things before. But um, yeah, uh, technology and uh, smaller teams are the two things that I look for um, in in terms of the most exciting companies. No, that makes sense. And, and, and how, and it'd be, it'll be fun to hear some of your portfolio companies that everyone should go check them out because it feels like you're in a a sci-fi movie, which is good. When (laughs) when you look through the list, flying cars and robots climbing stairs and, uh, or not flying cars, but flying, uh, vehicles or flying, um, yeah, uh, drones and stuff. Sorry, sorry, not flying cars. (laughs) Um, we're not, (laughs) not there yet, I guess. No, but, uh, um, you know, how, can you give an example of how you worked with a company and like how you kind of provide advice or introductions or, and, and I know you have a lot of portfolio companies, so, you know, you, you probably don't give everyone the same experience, but, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it definitely depends. Um, you know, we've done investments where we're, where we're a small part of a very large investment round. Um, with those teams, we're generally a lot less hands-on both because, the teams are sort of more used typically a little bit more established and also because they have a lot of other investors who are trying to, you know, be, be providing value as well. Um, but we have done investments where we've basically been the first money into a company hmm. and those, uh, those companies, uh, sometimes even, you know, uh, come and work out of our office space. Uh, we have a couple of those companies now, um, and have the sort of more direct, um, you know, sort of more direct input, both in terms of strategy, giving feedback around, around pitch decks and things like that. And then also just, you know, um, portfolio companies scraping our LinkedIn profiles and saying, hey, could you introduce me to A, B, and C? 
Um, those, those are, those are sort of things. I mean, more, more structurally, the things that we're building, when I had a sort of moment of realization when, uh, we, we basically, you know, I, I mentioned we focused on traditional industries and how AI and robotics disrupt those, those industries. Um, one of the, for one of these companies in particular that had raised, uh, you know, quite a bit of money and I had sort of contacted them a bunch of times and been like, Hey, you know, what, what can we do that would be helpful? And they were, they were sort of always like, Oh, nothing really. Like, uh, you know, maybe we have these, um, open hires that we're trying to make. Could you, you know, refer them to anybody or get them published on lists? You know, not really super hands-on stuff. But then we, uh, you know, in the course of doing research around these traditional industries, uh, specifically construction in this case, um, we basically hosted an event with a bunch of decision makers, about 60 people from large equipment manufacturers, general contractor companies, subcontractor companies, construction project owners, mm. um, like basically all the stakeholders in the industry and invited these, you know, this, this startup. And they, their, basic, their feedback was like, wow, this was like one of the most like focused events that I've ever been to. This has been super useful for us. And kind of the takeaway for me there is it wasn't like they asked us to do that because it's like that's not something that you, I guess, ask your investor to do. But um, it's something that, you know, in our process of uh, becoming expert at this at this industry, or at least, you know, bringing ourselves up to a, to a high level of understanding of the industry, um, we were able to do some other things that provided value to the portfolio right. companies working in the construction space. So that would be like another example. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean... And- Whenever a new technology comes through in the construction that could apply to the construction industry, you guys have a nice uh, network of people you can make introductions to quickly. That's uh, a that's smart. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we we see a lot of uh, you know cross cross industry vertical plays in terms of computer vision. Just a lot of fundamental tech that can be applied to basically all the all the industries that you can imagine. And that that's really why um, you know we think our focus works, even though. You may look at it on the surface and say, oh, they're, they're thinking about healthcare, they're thinking about construction and manufacturing and logistics. Um, but in reality, these, a lot of these uh, changes are being powered by the same core technology. And those are the things that we want to become expert in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good point. And, and so, oh, can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, you mentioned the computer vision. Um, can you give an example? I mean, if this is like part of your core investment thesis, you don't have to give away the, the store, but... Um, sure. Yeah. Can you- um, yeah, we have, we have yeah we have a couple different um, portfolio companies who focus on very different applications, but are just two really good examples of how sort of important these uh, these technologies are going to be in the future. One of them focuses on computer vision. They do facial recognition for uh, financial security applications. So, like if you go to an ATM um, and you swipe your card, it basically knows who you are, and it can use the cameras to basically make sure that that person is the one who's using the who's using the device and. The, the way that, that the way that that works is basically, you know, it has a, a learning system where basically it takes in data every time you either use an ATM or you know pay for an item, and there's a camera system there. It takes a lot of pictures of you, so even if you know your appearance changes, your hair grows longer, you grow a beard, it can recognize you anyways. Um, and uh, sort of using this this deep learning network that they've developed to be really good at facial recognition. Um, so that's one application on the financial security side. And then another application is a company that we recently invested in who does um, this special device that can basically biopsy very thin slices of tissue, of human tissue, and, uh, and image it at the same time. So you can take, like, a, tum- a tumor, for example, and uh, create very, like, paper-thin slices and actually biopsy and image the, the tissue at the same time. And with that, they use computer vision algorithms to be able to figure out why one person's cancer is different from another person's cancer on a cellular level. And then from that, we can start to make, you know, make some more progress on understanding cancer, for example. Mm. 
Well, that's pretty brilliant. So do those startups ever talk to each other about their problems that they're having? Um, I, I think today, not, not as much, okay. but I think, uh, one, we're, we're interested in that being one of the, one of, one of the value adds that we provide in the future is really creating more of a studio model for people yeah. who are using similar technologies across different applications to be able to have kind of this, this venue to be able to talk about technology. And obviously, you know, it's helpful when a lot of people are trying to recruit computer vision engineers to be able to recruit them ourselves, um, by having, uh, you know, kind of this studio model where people work on the things and people can, uh, you know, uh, engineers can come and can can come and work on problems and uh, use that as a recruiting tool is another is another is another thing that we're thinking about. Huh, interesting. And all right, so you mentioned uh, I guess two or three of your portfolio companies. There are there, and I, I know you don't want to pick favorites, but are there like a couple other portfolio companies that you really you've kind of seen blossom or you've uh, been with for a little while or you're excited about? Um, yeah, I think. Uh, well, there, there's a, there's a rule in, in venture capital, which I think is also there's a rule in parenting as well, which is you're not you're not allowed to say which which one's your favorite. Or or the corollary of that is my my favorite my favorite portfolio company is the one that's fundraising the with yeah, the most exactly. urgency. Right. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break that I'm gonna break that second that second rule uh, and tell you about a company that that's that's absolutely that's not fundraising right now, but um, I think illustrates kind of a, a interesting application. Um, kind of a, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you about the solution and I'll tell you why I think it's interesting. Um, basically what they do is they put a sensor in a retail uh, environment that has a camera and a microphone and they basically use computer vision to be able to figure out how many people are walking past the store outside on the sidewalk versus how many people come in. And they also look at interesting st- statistics about how many people, like how long people stay in the store, like dwell time. Um, they use a microphone to roughly correlate, like to basically back up that data in terms of how many people are in the store in terms of ambient noise. Um, and then what, what the company does is they basically take this and connect it with the, the, re- the data at the register. So like how much, you know, how much on average did each customer buy that day? Um, what was their basket size? Um, what percentage of them converted versus, you know, maybe 10% of the people in the store bought something one day, but 30% bought something in the store the other day. And then what it does is instead of giving a dashboard to the store manager, it um, it actually just manages the schedules of the salespeople themselves. And what it does through kind of randomness of schedules themselves is it correlates which sales teams are the best at being mm. together. Wow. So say so say you and so say you and I are on one sales team and uh, me and Jim are on another sales team. Maybe Jim and I don't work very well together, but you and I work really well together. Like we sort of consistently when we're on the floor together have you know higher output. Um, that's something that the system learns over time and then will preferentially schedule us together. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are other things, you know, there are other things that they include in terms of weather and day of the week and like how many customers do we just expect to have and how many salespeople should we have? Um, because those are pretty expensive assets to be either under or overutilizing. Um, for example, like if, if, if you and I are the only ones on the floor and there's 15 customers, obviously, I, like, I don't know if you've ever been to Foot Locker and waited like 20 minutes for somebody to like right. ask you like what you need or what size or whatever. Um, but that's not like a great way to, to drive sales. So really focusing on balancing, um, demand and supply and then also optimizing sales teams right. are the two things that they, that they focus on. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, when we first started talking about I'm like, oh, there's kind of companies that do that. But then, yeah, that's another whole level they're bringing to where, uh, trying to optimize the, the sales staff and their staff. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. 
I can see. Yeah, and I think, and I mean, the, the, the reason, the reason why it's interesting is like, it's a very subtle difference between like saying, Oh, we know how many people are walking past the store versus how many are coming in. And therefore we can like change the display in the front or the signage or whatever, um, versus like kind of going a few layers deeper and saying like, no, let's actually like, uh, change the, you know, change the, 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 um, like which salespeople are on the floor yeah. at which times and, and sort of optimize it that way. And it, it becomes a much more passive thing that the store owner or manager doesn't even have to think about. It's just this system that's running in the background. And I think that's um, illustrative of a lot of uh, these these uh, artificial intelligence systems are going to be these agents that sort of run in the background and take, take away burden yep. um, as opposed to just giving us more information. So to the somehow connect with the um, the scheduling system is that uh, or they they have their own scheduling system for the yeah they actually system? just do their own they they just manage the scheduling okay. themselves interesting and, and can they track people going through the stores I don't know if you said that or not uh, I know some companies are working on that which is a, a little questionable but uh, yes I, I, right now it's just focused on um, in versus out and yeah. well like how long people stay in the store. That's smart. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can you can imagine a future where you know everything about every customer that walks around the store and is looking at you know is looking at different things on the on on which shelves in the same way that Amazon has all that data today about how you how you shop on Amazon. They know what you search, what you kind of scroll through and click on, what you read the description, what you expand the you know the the comment section to read more comments. They know what you add to your cart. They obviously know what you check out of your cart, um, and they kind of use all these things to to go into that model that determines. Um, Customers who viewed this also viewed or recommended next yeah. uh, next purchases. Netflix does the same thing, um, and a lot of brick and mortar retailers are trying to figure out exactly what you know how deep how, how deep in the stack do they want to go. And to your point, which is um, is it creepy? Um, well, it's it's cre- it's being done online right now, and <laughs> customers don't seem to think it's creepy, but it, it does seem creepy in a brick and mortar retailer if there are a bunch of cameras on you and sensors that figure out what you pick up and read the back of the box and stuff like that, but. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, sort of consumer appetite will and privacy will will sort of be one of the one of the big determinants of like how much of this technology will be adopted and how much the equilibrium will sort of switch to being e-commerce driven versus um, brick and mortar yeah. driven. Yeah, I mean, I I I think people will get used to it. It'd be pretty awesome. You walked in the store and it was kind of like Dave's store, right? Everything was kind of like you said. You go to Amazon, you go Dave's store, you walk into Target, and everything's not everything, but a lot of the displays me customized for me and suggestions and how people sure. uh, talked. Yeah. So that would be cool someday. Someday. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's see. Um, I, I was curious to get your thoughts a little more on robotics. Cause, uh, the, you know, there's always the promise of robotics are going to take off, but, and, and they have in like manufacturing in certain areas, but you're looking a little more in uh, non-traditional areas like healthcare. And, um, yeah. So how, you know, what type of uh, do you think B two B robotics will be successful in the near future? Um, like, you know, what do you think people should be working on right now? You know, they're they're not going to necessarily be able to replace a human right away, but maybe they could. Um, but yeah, do you have any uh, thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the big things about getting robots off of a manufacturing line, which is like a very very structured environment, is solving the perception problem. So actually being able to tell. Like if you know, if you imagine a, a, car, a car frame moving down a conveyor belt and a bunch of robotic arms welding, uh, welding that—that's a very like structured environment. The robot arm is programmed to basically do the same motion over and over again, 
Um, but moving to a to a more uh, sort of less structured environment, like say picking apples, for example, there's a lot of problems in trying to figure out like where the apples. You know, their apples aren't coming down on a conveyor belt; they're on a tree in different orientations and sizes and shapes and colors, and they may be occluded by leaves that are covering them and being able to figure out for a robot to figure out how to actually get a manipulator up there, get the leaf out of the way and figure out if I should pick the apple or if I shouldn't, and then how to get the apple off the tree without damaging it. These are sufficiently hard problems that have only been able to be solved very recently. Um, and I would say a lot, of, a lot of that comes from the pers- like being having the perception problem solved, which is like being able to actually understand the, the environment as it is today. Like looking at a tree and saying, okay, I know where the apples are on that tree. Um, that, that's been one of the problems that I would, I would say is probably one of the, one of the biggest gating items that's been solved, um, for a lot of these, I, I wouldn't say solved, is, has been solved to a threshold that it makes, you know, we, that we can make useful solutions today, and we'll be continually making more useful solutions in the future. And, uh, it's mostly based on perception. And, and why do you think that that's been solved, or at least some of the problems have been solved now in the last, let's say, couple of years versus 10 years? Like, why, why is now special? Um, I think I, I think it's it's sort of like this, this goes back to like a lot of the, the main sort of arguments of anybody who gets excited about robots says some of the things which are like robotic components are getting cheaper. The cost of computing is both getting cheaper and moving to the cloud so that you don't actually have to have your your own infrastructure. Um, and then kind of this like ubiquity of cameras basically being out there and cameras being super cheap and cameras being super good. Basically, like all these sort of this sort of complement of things. Both the sensors, the computing, like everything's getting cheaper and better. So like fundamentally cameras today, thanks to smartphones, are like so fantastically better. If you like if you like look at the old uh, uh like pictures from like an old like the first iPhone that came out, for example, like it's it's crazy how much like Apple themselves have eight hundred engineers just working on the camera module for um for the for the phone. It's like it's the, the amount of improvements, like that, how fast that technology is being pushed forward is pretty uh, astounding. And that, that's basically now we can literally like there's more. We're, we're basically it, one way to think of it is the cameras just now take in more data. Like there's just a lot more things that are in the, in the data, like a lot more pixels. And from that, you can do a lot more things, which is like, you know, find edges and decide whether this is an apple or a leaf. Um, and those are something that, you know, are just starting to become more possible today. Um, as compared to even a few years ago. Yeah, I think I even heard that somebody's working on one of the cell companies, like a death um, death sensing camera or a 3D camera, which would be a that would be pretty sweet. Of course, the solution's out there, but once it's on your once it's on your phone, that would be uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right. Well, we're almost out of time here. Uh, I, I did. I was curious. You know, I guess how how do you find your investments and and what type of invest companies? are you looking for? Which we kind of talked about when we know the area, but, um, you know, at, at what stage, you know, you're at seed. So do you want somebody with a good idea? Do you want like uh, proof of concept? You know, at what point we're like, okay, we're right. Comet lab is ready to put some money in. Sure. Um, to answer your first question, where do we find most of the deals? Uh, just deep, uh, deep sort of networks. We, we focus really, you know, somewhat narrowly on robotics and artificial intelligence. And because of that, we don't have to look at the consumer enterprise software companies, consumer internet companies, um, consumer electronics companies. Like there are a lot of things we just don't even have to look at. Um, but um, the, the ecosystem is still sufficiently small where we can get a lot of the 
you know, a lot of our, the investment team can basically just, you know, hit the streets and be talking to the, to the people, um, at, at these universities or at these organizations who interface with the, with the companies who are building the new technology, uh, to be able to find the deals, um, that we're, that we're looking for. Um, and then your second question is like, what, what does a company need? Um, what does a successful company that pitches content labs look like? There's basically an inverse, uh, relationship between team experience and like amount of traction that they have to have. Um, like if it's, if it's, if it's the guy or girl who literally wrote the book on some technology, we're probably going to be investing in that company no matter what they are. Um, even if they don't even have a PowerPoint slide yet. Um, but if, you know, if it's a first time founder, um, building, uh, you know, a solution with, with off the, off the shelf components to solve some, in, some problem in industry, um, that's going to be something that we, you know, the bar's a little bit higher in terms of, in terms of, uh, things that need to be demonstrated. And I think that that's, that's partially because of the risk involved, but it's also partially just because, um, you know, we're worried about the defensibility. If, if somebody can sort of just go out and, and solve this problem pretty easily, then it's, it's pretty likely that other people can do that as well. Um, and so that's something that we definitely take into consideration when we, uh, make investments. Mm, makes sense. And do you typically invest in the Bay Area or do you have companies? Outside, uh, we have companies outside of the outside of the Bay Area. Um, have done a lot of investments in um, let's see, Seattle, San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, Pittsburgh, and Boston. Oh wow! Are, okay, interesting. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, uh, I've got. Uh, I could talk for another hour with you, but I think that just about <laughs> does it for us. And uh, definitely, really appreciate your. Uh, time adam your thoughts and uh yeah what you guys are doing is it must be at least a lot of days must be fun waking up i'm sure not every day is blissful but it's cool what you guys are working on yeah no it's a it's a privilege to to have the job and be able to work with such smart people definitely definitely so yeah definitely appreciate you coming on the show and uh telling your story and uh as always i appreciate everyone listening to another episode of flyer labs and uh yeah we'll we'll see you next time bye everyone thanks Thanks,